Welcome to GP's Pangeo Perspectives, your guide to global growth, where we explore opportunities and ideas that come with global team building, business expansion, and compliance for companies everywhere. Hello, everyone. Pangeo is an idea inspired by the 300 million year old supercontinent, Pangea, when the Earth's landmasses were united as one. Today, the world is reuniting once again as businesses everywhere seek opportunities beyond borders and boundaries. So let's explore the future of business with voices from around the world as we look for success we all can share. Welcome to GP's Pangeo Perspectives, your guide to global growth. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Both sports and business are competitive environments that strive for excellence over their competition. Of course, preparation and skill are key to success. What role does simple positivity play in helping prepare high-performance teams to reach the pinnacle of their profession? Today, we'll be exploring how the world of business and sports are connected through shared principles of strategy and performance, and how success hinges on effective leadership and teamwork. I'm very happy to be joined by Pete Wilkins, head coach of Connacht Rugby, an official partner of GP since 2022. And we'll be discussing the power of positivity in high-performance teams. Pete, we're so glad to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm good, Thomas. Thanks so much for having me on, and I'm really looking forward to having a chat with you guys. Fantastic. All right, shall we get started? Absolutely. So, Pete, you work with players physically on the field, in the same room, in person, every single day. While much of our audience are building their teams remotely all over the world. But at the end of the day, is it that much different? Isn't it all about people and what motivates them to be their best universally, whether it's remote or in person? Look, I think it's a great starting point. And I think working remotely certainly has its challenges. I think it's certainly different. And as you said, we're face-to-face with players on the training field. We're face-to-face with players and staff in meetings and delivering presentations. So You certainly have to think differently, and I think you do have to approach it differently. So both environments are going to have their challenges, and both are going to have their advantages. The key thing for me, I think, is what you stand for as a team or as an organization. And ultimately, if you have that power of purpose, if you have that collective why that you're participating in that team or you're building something together, I think that gives everyone something to latch onto. And and whether that's remotely or whether that's in person, I think if you have that ability to tell a great story and to get people enthused about the journey that hopefully you're going to take them on or or probably lead them on, then I think it can work. And I think it becomes equally exciting. I love that. The power of purpose, that really resonates. If there's no purpose, it doesn't matter if you're remote or in person, you're not going to get that collective sort of motivation and magic that happens when people are really working as, as a collective team together. So I've heard you focus on four keys of positivity within your teams. Could you start by kind of laying these out for us, Pete, and explaining why you think these four points are so important? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the framework we reference here, the first part is the importance of positivity in terms of harnessing the energy of a group and whether that's a team working towards winning a game of rugby on the weekend for us, or it's a team with a different purpose. I think whether we like it or not, there is an existing energy in a group. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's a bit of everything. But there is an energy in the room, and there are different personalities that contribute towards that. So I think the key thing is to acknowledge that and realize that you need to do something with that energy. You need to lead it in a certain direction, and you need to harness it if you're going to be effective in what you do. So I think recognizing the presence of energy and the need to channel that positively is the first stage. 
The second stage for us is recognizing the different stages of development in terms of how we approach positivity, how we approach obstacles that might come in the way or challenges that come in the way. And I guess having a framework for actually referencing that and seeing how far along that continuum we are. The third thing for me is probably the role of the leader. And there'll be a key point, and we'll maybe talk a little bit later on about my experiences with the Irish national team, as well as our provincial team here at Connacht. But the role of the head coach or the CEO, the leader in terms of setting a tone for the group around that positivity. And then lastly, and possibly most importantly, is how you actually put that into action. A lot of us are great at having these wonderful playbooks or wonderful formulae for success, but actually how do you roll that out in the heat of battle? And and when all the tasks and the to-do list gets longer and longer, how do you make sure you come back to that true sense of purpose and ensuring there is positivity within the group? So that rollout, I think, is the all-important bit as a fourth stage. Yeah, no, absolutely. Fascinating stuff. So could you share an example or two of this mindset around positivity in motion and how it is implemented at Connacht? I think for us, it's probably recognizing our history and what's actually got us to this point as a club. There are four professional rugby teams in Ireland. There's Leinster, who are based out of Dublin. There's Ulster up in Belfast. And there's Munster, who are down in Limerick. And for us at Connacht, we're based in Galway, but we represent five counties around the province. So we have a geographical spread in terms of who we're representing. And certainly the history of Connacht, we were very much the fourth province or the poorer cousin of Irish rugby. There was a time where our national governing body, the Irish Rugby Football Union, there was a time where they talked about putting Connacht out of business. And it was a cost-saving measure at the time when rugby wasn't in such rude health. And there was a lot of talk about pooling the resources and going down to three teams. And the supporters of Connacht and the staff and the coaches of Connacht at the time, players of Connacht, they traveled to Dublin to the headquarters of the RFU and they brought petitions and they brought placards and they brought everything else with them and they marched on the headquarters and it was a peaceful protest, you'll be pleased to know, but they stood up for themselves and they said rugby in Connacht is too important to die and it means too much to us. And the province survived and it went from strength to strength and our performances on the pitch have improved along with that. And I think for us, just to have an understanding of that context of our history. It was that unbelievable positivity in the face of pretty extreme adversity in terms of going out of business or going out of existence. A club that had been around since the 1880s was about to be gone for good. So I think understanding that sets us up to know that, look, if we can overcome that as a team, as an organisation, well, wins and losses and financial deficits and recruitment of players and recruitment of staff, you know, all of that probably pales in comparison. So I suppose the positivity and the sense of possibility that came from that period as a club, it's something we'd reference a lot and without maintaining the chip on our shoulder too long, something that we want to remain aware of as well. It's got to mean more to the team once you get that decision reversed. When you go start playing again, it's got to be a tremendous sense of team satisfaction. They might be from Connacht, they're from the place and, and they want to prove to the world that the West of Ireland can thrive and that we can I suppose, achieve our dreams without having to relocate to the big smoke or overseas. So, you know, there's a real strong sense of purpose in the individuals that come here. And and as I said, that adds to that overall positivity and sense of collective purpose as well. So, Pete, you mentioned that for any team, embracing obstacles is crucial for achieving continuous growth as they provide opportunities for learning, resilience, and personal development. And by viewing challenges as a stepping stone rather than roadblocks, team members can cultivate a growth mindset and unlock their full potential which is what we all want. So positivity is easy when things are going our way, but how can we embrace embrace positivity when things go wrong? Because they oftentimes do. 
Do they do? It's another great question. I think for us, and it's something I've had to learn sort of during my coaching career, and particularly in the last couple of years, it's front-ending any problem-solving with the acknowledgement that bad stuff happens. That's life. That's certainly sport, and it's certainly business, and it's life. It doesn't go to plan. It's not perfect. There will be unexpected challenges, and there will be things that don't go to plan. And, and I suppose changing our expectations from something that we think we have to have a perfect product, a perfect presentation, a perfect game, it's not realistic. And it probably never has been, but especially in the modern world with the state of play around various things, global pandemics, and just to name the tip of the iceberg. And I think for us acknowledging that, that actually much as we strive to deliver perfect, we don't have to get spooked and we don't have to be too down on ourselves if it's not perfect. It's about knowing what we stand for and being true to those principles. And if we can deliver those relentlessly and consistently, then we'll be pretty close to achieving something very, very positive. So the three stages for us that we reference, and this is probably my framework that I've really drawn together from other people's work, from reading, from other people's ideas, but I suppose the combination of all of those things and what we'll reference here. The first stage is very much one of robustness. If we can achieve that robust mindset or that robust system or that robust process within how we work, I guess it's getting that degree of toughness and that degree of stability in how we work. But the risk of that is very much that when pressure comes on, when things do go wrong, is that you're going to get knocked over, literally or theoretically. And the great example that I suppose I would share would be in terms of flood defences. People talk about building the dams to keep the water out, and that flood resistance, we're trying to resist chaos. But at some point, the waters are going to be higher than the previously recorded benchmarks, and they're going to come over the dam or they're going to knock it down. And really, robustness in itself isn't enough. Stage two, then, is that stage of resilience where we say, okay, look, it's not going to be perfect. Things are going to happen and we might get knocked over. But resilience means that we can put ourselves back together and hopefully put ourselves back together fairly quickly. And we can return to working order and, and certainly, again, talking about flood defenses. And so this isn't my work. This is me paraphrasing other people's theories. But you now talk about flood resilience rather than flood resistance. And it's just the idea that, look, there will be a flood, but actually we know it's coming. And how do we put ourselves back together once that happens? So so that stage of resilience, a lot of sports coaches talking nowadays, it's not about mental toughness anymore. It's about mental resilience. It's that ability not just to withstand pressure, but put yourself back together as quickly as possible afterwards. So that would be stage two. And I think for us as a club, as a team on the pitch, we're probably around about halfway through that second stage in terms of how we deal with adversity during games, how long it takes us to put ourselves back together, and also off-field cultural challenges, challenges in the group dynamic and so forth. And then there's this third and final stage, and this would be the work of described as an economist philosopher, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who actually wrote a book called Anti-Fragility. And other writings, Black Swan would be another famous book of his, but Taleb talked about this state of anti-fragility. And that's our third stage, where you're saying, look, we know that we need to be robust to withstand chaos and pressure, but we also know that we need to be resilient because at some stage we're going to get knocked over and need to rebuild ourselves. But this stage of anti-fragility means not only are we rebuilding ourselves, but we're rebuilding ourselves into something stronger than we were before. So it's this whole concept of post-traumatic growth. Look, bad stuff is going to happen, but we'll come back stronger. The same concept of having vaccines against viruses or broken bone healing stronger. We're actually going to use the lessons of that challenge, the lessons of that obstacle to improve ourselves and to grow from it. And that idea for us, as I said, it's on field, it's in group management, it's in cultural management of, I suppose, the whole club. But when we face these obstacles, we want to return to play as quickly as possible. But how do we return better? How do we learn from them? 
and actually get to the stage where we're looking forward to the next obstacle. We're excited about the next challenge because we know it's another opportunity for growth. So a stage of robustness through to resilience, through to anti-fragility, as I said, it's other people's language, but it resonates strongly with the journey we're on here at Connect. I love that. And particularly at the fragility at the end. So the old age expression of what doesn't kill me will make me stronger really comes into play there. You're going to learn from the experience and the next time it happens, you're not going to get knocked down possibly as much or or not at all. 100%. I I think this is where we get into the realms of Stoic philosophy. There's a a wonderful quote from Marcus Aurelius, the last of the good emperors of ancient Rome, who, who said that fire feeds on obstacles. And I love just the vision of that, the feel of that, this idea of a fire sort of marching across scrubland and it encounters a big wooden house or a big wooden fence or a, a new bit of forest. And for a bit, it's halted and it pauses and then it consumes this obstacle and marches on even bigger and more powerful than it was before. And I love the imagery of that. And it's something we reference here as well. Yeah. Listen, it's kind of another good segue. How do you get buy-in from team members that don't necessarily have the greatest belief in themselves, right? So their confidence gets easily knocked. Do you have some coaching for us to follow here when they can't get back up as easily as maybe some of the other players can? Yeah, look, I think it's a very real challenge. And I think all of us find ourselves in that position at times and for different reasons. And we certainly have team members or teammates who also, as you said, need that picking up. And I think the key for us, probably the key for me was to realize there is no silver bullet. There's no perfect way of saying, if we do this, everyone is going to be okay, or everyone is going to rebuild themselves as quickly as possible after a setback or after a challenge. I think the key thing really is to understand where each individual is on their own journey. And there are some people that are are coming in right at the start, they're at the stage of robustness. They're purely trying to develop either the mental or the technical skills in order to survive in that environment or to try and do their job in that environment. And at some stage, the pressure will be too much and there will be cracks. Some people are there, some people have journeyed through that. Some people are, you know, whether that's through the experience of time or, or just the experience of different roles within an organization. I think some people are at the stage where they've experienced enough setbacks and enough successes that they're able to withstand a bit more chaos and put themselves back together again when it comes. And some are at the, at the pointy end where they're really excited about the next obstacle and they're looking around the next corner, you know, just waiting for that opportunity for growth. So I think understanding, really getting to know your teammates and your team members, the people that you're leading, I do think that's important because if you understand their context and a little bit about their story, then it really sets you up, to, I suppose, to offer the most appropriate assistance when the time comes. Yeah, I imagine some empathy and meeting people and their model of the world is really important there to be able to help them through to get to that place of real resilience and being able to get back up quickly. All right, fantastic. So since GP's earliest days, we've had a mantra of assuming best intent, always assume best intent, bringing different thoughts and perspectives in a positive light. It's always important for a team. So when a team member makes a mistake, Pete, how do you help keep the overall team's response a positive one so that it doesn't bring down the other members? I think as much as we work in teams, the performance and the impact of individuals, whether positive or negative, are always going to have a knock-on effect onto the team's productivity or the team's success. So, look, I think it's a really keen thing to recognize. One of the key things for us is to understand, this is probably talking about the game of rugby in particular, we have 15 players on the field at any given time, 
there are different positions, as in all sports, different positions within that 15-man team or 15-person team. There's a role for the stocky, powerful people that do a lot of pushing and a lot of lifting. There's the role for the skinny, fast people who run like the wind and can jump and soar and catch the balls over the head. There's the rules for the, the abrasive characters that assert themselves on the opposition. There's the roles for the thinkers within the group and, and the commanders of the game. There are all these different sort of profiles of what you need to make a rugby team successful. A lot of different characters. There really are, and physical and mental attributes. And I think that sets you up that we're working in an environment where you genuinely rely on everyone and each other's expertise. And you cannot, in a game of rugby, have one star player who will make the result happen for you. It has to be a collective effort. So I suppose the way our game is designed sets us up to know that we must operate as a collective. But as you said, there will be individual errors within that. One of the key things with us is probably understanding that when something goes wrong, when an individual makes an error, certainly in the game of rugby, for that error to actually lead to us conceding points, conceding a try, conceding a penalty, for that error to actually lead to us conceding points, there probably needs to be another three or four things go wrong after that. If you look at a try that we would concede, the equivalent of a touchdown that we would concede, then really you have to go three or four layers deep to understand where the problem started. So if a player misses a tackle, that results in the opposition scoring points. As much as you need to address that in terms of helping that player improve and understand why they missed that tackle and set them up for success in the future, there's probably a reason that that person with the ball got through to that player in the first place. So what happened in the team dynamic to give the opposition that opportunity to beat the tackler? And what happened before that to give the opposition the opportunity to have possession of the ball? And so forth and so forth. So we started using a phrase probably two, almost three seasons ago, of saying there is always a solution until someone stops working. And again, it's just this mindset that the bad stuff will happen. But actually, if we're the first to react, particularly if we react as a collective, we can problem solve it before it becomes terminal, in a sporting sense at least. Before it becomes terminal. Yeah, no, I love that. It's really nipping it in the bud before it becomes a major issue. And you can pull yourselves back from the brink if you acknowledge it early on, right? Absolutely. And, and I think it's also understanding that the cause and effect within a group, that we're not relying on a player or a team member to have a perfect game. Because again, that, that's not realistic. If everyone hit an eight out of 10, we'd be in a really good spot. But you know what? Life is life. And someday someone's having a three out of 10 day. And uh, the collective has to pull together to make sure that we can still advance on that journey and still get some success from it. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, absolutely. So... Our company also has the philosophy of behind every hire is a human. This brings me to our next topic, which is the leader's example. A head coach is a leader by definition. And at GP, we know that showing leadership is critical, essentially when the whole team is remote. So why do you think leadership is so crucial, Pete, to build truly high-performing teams? And whether it's face-to-face -face or laptop-to-laptop -laptop around the world, why is it so important? Why is it so crucial? I think there are so many aspects of leadership that impact, obviously, team performance and the team dynamic. But one of the key things that certainly for me in, in the last 12 months of my journey is seeing the impact that a leader can have in terms of setting a tone for a room. And I, I suppose I mean literally in terms of a meeting room of players or a meeting room of team members, a staff meeting. It might be a pre-match team talk that we have in a changing room in a big stadium before a big game, before a big semi-final. It might be remotely. It might just be in the way that we're communicating and, and the way that we're messaging to our teammates over video calls or over phone calls or anything else like that. So I think the role of the leader in terms of setting a tone for the room is enormous. The example I drew on recently, I, I was fortunate enough, as I said, I worked full-time here at Connacht as, as head coach, but uh, I was invited to go along with the Irish national team 
this time last summer in June and July, I was invited along to their tour of New Zealand. And to put it in context, Ireland were going over to play the New Zealand All Blacks, which were the number one team in the world and um, pretty much the Galacticos of world rugby for some time now. They were going to play uh, three games, three international games, three test matches against the All Blacks. So it was a best of three series. And not only that, they were going to throw in an extra two games in between those two midweek games against the New Zealand Maori representative team. So Ireland was taking a slightly bigger squad and essentially it was a way of testing themselves against the best, but also I suppose a bit of a dress rehearsal for the Rugby World Cup, which is happening you know, this year in, in October time. So it was an enormous challenge. They needed an extra coach and I was lucky enough to go along for that tour. And it had its challenges as it would taking on that calibre of opposition on the other side of the world and with games coming so thick and fast not long after COVID and New Zealand opening back up and the protocols there. As tends to happen with rugby teams, with sports teams, there are injuries. And we had a run of injuries in a particular playing position. And very much like the NFL, if you know, you need a certain number of people in each position in order to fulfill the game. So it's not just about performance. It's about being able to put a team on the park and actually have the game take place. We had a bit of a, an injury crisis. There was a couple of cases of COVID. There was a concussion case. There was a lower limb injury. There was all sorts of different ways, but ultimately we, we were running out of players in a position. And the head coach of the Irish national team, Andy Farrell, who's a bit of a legend in these parts these days, Andy was the man leading it and, and setting the tone for the room. And I remember talking to him one morning when this was coming to a head. And I said, Andy, how are we looking around this position? Are we going to be okay? And he looked at me in the eyes and he said, Pete, I love this. He said, this is why we have come on this trip. What a response. Unbelievable. And for me, did he believe it wholeheartedly at that point or was he putting on a good show for my benefit? I don't know. But what happened after that was every other person that walked in the room got a similar response from him. And as time progressed, everyone started to see this massive obstacle as something that probably summed up the purpose of going on the trip. And we were going to ride it out and we were going to find a way. And we might not know the answer yet, but we would find a way and we might have to do things a little bit differently. And ultimately, the, the team went on to play. Morphed into an opportunity, right? Yeah, 100%. Because the obstacle was embraced. We went on, we played the first test match against the All Blacks and lost fairly convincingly. Prior to that, we'd had the first game against the New Zealand Maori and, and lost fairly convincingly in that too. And we came into the change rooms after that first test match against the All Blacks and, and Andy wrapped up the game. He gave his head coach's talk and essentially the message was, we're going to be okay. We'll win this series 2-1. Don't worry about it. And there's always a lot said about the power of a speech and how it can turn a room and how it can motivate a group, reassure a group. But this wasn't just the speech. This was the drip feeding of that kind of positivity on a daily basis throughout that tour and before I joined the group. And that was what I think enabled him to be set up for success when it came to that crucial speech at the end of a big loss and saying, you know what, lads, we're on track here. It's going to be okay. And that daily impact of the leader within that environment, I saw firsthand. And Ireland, you know, progressed to winning that series 2-1 and became the number one team in the world. Yeah, I mean, what a great example of the power of positivity and how it can be contagious. I love that. And for me, when you have failure, failure is not the opposite of success. It's a part of the process. So you need that to get to success. And it's exactly what you guys did. Sounds like a win-win. You kept the teams motivated and then Turn was able to get the games going and, and motivate people who were isolated and felt disconnected. Yeah, that's fantastic. In truth, the pandemic really was a kind of great experiment, right, for us all. But Post-pandemic, there's a new emphasis on moving beyond the conceptual and actively engaging in the practical execution of goals, projects, and strategies. So let's talk about your final point, which I love, doing it. There's a great quote from a legendary U.S. college basketball coach, Bob Knight, who said, it's not the will to win that matters. 
It's the will to prepare to win that does. As a leader, how do you turn theory into reality when trying to develop the mindset in your team? I love that quote already. I hadn't heard it before, but, but, but just the idea of the process, the focus on process and loving the journey, not just being so overly fixated on the destination, which is a great sort of sporting mindset, but probably also a, a general life mindset, I think, of enjoying the journey a little bit more and doing that really well and knowing that the destination will take care of itself. So I love the quote. I think for us, a key bit, well, there's probably two parts for me. Firstly, is to recognize that all the wonderful playbooks and plans and coaching philosophies, leadership philosophies, management philosophies, they're all great. But if you don't find a way of actually delivering that in practice, then they're probably not worth the paper they're written on. And I think for us as professional coaches, when you come through the ranks and you first start coaching, there's a huge emphasis on planning on designing how you're going to do things and I suppose planning for success. An important bit of that is not trying to do too much, is making sure that you come back to some really fundamental key principles that you know make you the best version of yourself. So for us in rugby, there's a huge amount of coaching you can do around the technical, around the tactical. You can have vast playbooks of strategy, but actually knowing what you want the personality or the playing identity of your team to represent, I think that's really important. And a key bit of that is understanding what you represent. Like for us, we have an organizational document with our vision and purpose. We had one that served us for four years and it's just been revised for the next five. And and the phrase that leads that document, leads that, that organizational vision, is that we're here to unite, inspire, and represent our community. And not every sports team, certainly not every rugby team in this part of the world, is so clear in terms of what their sense of collective purpose is. And I think what's really interesting for us, the version of of that organizational vision that we used for the previous four or five years, it mentioned rugby. It was all about success through rugby and inspiring through rugby. And I was part of the working group that, you know, for people from different departments here in the organization that that look back on that last four or five years and and look to reshape what we would look like over the next chapter. And there was a, a strong will which prevailed to remove the word through rugby. We're uniting, inspiring and representing our community, full stop. So yes, we can do that on the rugby field, on the sports field, in terms of how we play the game and the traits that we display there. But we can also do it when we meet kids before and after games. We can do it with the way we carry ourselves around town, with the way we behave in airports, with the way that we talk to journalists, with the way that we interact with sponsors, how we make ourselves available to those that come and watch us every week in in quite often the the wind and the rain and the hail here in Galway or the, the side of the Atlantic. So all of that, it's not just about rugby. It's about what we represent. There are some guys in that group who could sign a two-year contract with us and not play a minute of professional rugby in that time. So if their sense of belonging and their sense of self-worth purely hinges on selection and getting minutes in the jersey in one of our games, that can evade them pretty drastically. And that can be very difficult, particularly for younger players to process. So that sense of belonging and that sense of purpose that you get from the wider organizational vision is so important, I think, in terms of people being able to remain positive on that journey and feel like they're contributing to the wider cause, even if they're not the guy that plays on the weekend. It might not be the person that's the CEO in an organization or the person that delivers the business pitch or the person that's face-to-face with clients. But you can still do your bit to make the overall collective vision come to life. And I think that's incredibly empowering and very important. And what I loved about your vision is there was no mention of winning in there. So at the end of each game, you really can achieve the three most important things in your vision with inspiring, uniting, and helping your community. Was that, was that the third one? Representing your community. Representing yeah. your community. 
So, I mean, at the end of each game, there's every reason why you can feel a sense of, of satisfaction and of accomplishment because you don't have to win to achieve those three things. That's fantastic. Another question for you here. Sports journalists often refer to competitions with words like the war, the battle, right? Now, on the flip side, we often hear teams being referred to as family and tribe. So in other words, it, it seems like it's all about our human connections as a team that really count. Those connections are, are incredibly important for us. In terms of the internal connections specifically, one of the biggest changes we've made in the last 12 months is to try and facilitate those connections on a smaller scale. So the typical Monday for a professional rugby team, if we played a game on a Saturday night, players would generally spend Sunday you know, recovering body and mind. The coaches would spend Sunday looking at video footage and trying to work out what went well or what didn't go well and trying to find all the answers. And on a Monday morning, everyone comes in and you have 60 people sitting in a big lecture hall or a team room. And one of the coaches, often the head coach, stands up down the front and says, this is what happened in the game. These were the problems we faced. Here are the answers. Does anyone have any thoughts? No one speaks up. No one's put their hand up. Maybe there's one or two senior players who, who might contribute. But generally speaking, you get a, a couple of tumbleweeds blowing across the front of the room. And the head coach says, right, great. We're all on the same page and off we go. And one of the key things we've done is, is to try and reverse the way that we put the groups together on a Monday and actually start a lot smaller, which may sound obvious saying it out loud, but, but actually start with guys in smaller groups of six or seven and get those guys to have a conversation about the game. And there might not be any great agenda. You might not give them questions to answer, but say, you know what, here's a scheduled 30 minutes or 60 minutes in the team's day where we want you guys to have a conversation about the game. And there'll be some of those guys in that group, in those six or seven, that played in the game. And they can speak authentically about not just how it played out, but how it felt to them on the field. Did they feel positive energy? Did they feel under pressure? Did they feel like we had solutions? And there'll be guys there who were watching the game on TV or watching the game from the stands because they weren't selected or they were injured. And, and they give a different perspective on it. But the beauty of starting in those smaller groups is, firstly, those players start to find their own voice. So at the end of the day, for any of us, if we're sitting in a room full of 60 people and the boss down the front says, does anyone want to offer an opinion? It takes a brave soul or a very experienced soul to speak up. So these players get a chance, these young, you know, young men, a lot of them, they get a chance to actually find their voice and, and find the confidence of, of sharing their thoughts. And those small groups of six or seven then will join up into a 15 or 20, and those groups can then feed back on what they've discussed. And then that team meeting of the 60 or so people actually happens in the afternoon now rather than first thing in the morning. So what we found is by the time we get to that bigger meeting, not only have players found their voice and they're far more willing to speak up and they have the confidence to offer something to the wider group, but quite often they solve the problems already. And I imagine can be eye-opening as well because you're going to get perspectives and ideas shared that wouldn't be in that form of 60. I mean, it's the same thing in a business setting. If you're in a huge meeting, very rarely will people have their voice and get up and put forward an idea or comment on something. It really takes the smaller forms to generate that level of creativity and sharing and discussion that takes you to the next level. So that's fantastic. Listen, I've got one final question for you. And you've told us where we want to go with the power of positivity and high-performance teams, which has been fantastic. But maybe you could leave us with a few ideas about where we might want to begin. Yeah, look, I think the strongest thing for me is that sense of collective purpose. And, and I know we talked about it right at the beginning. It's probably appropriate we come back to it. But anyone can put words on a wall. Anyone can say, this is the type of team we want to be. This is the type of company we want to be. We've all got the taglines and the mottos, and, and they, they form an important part of reinforcing a message. 
But anyone can workshop those ideas and, and stick them up there and say, come on, everyone, this is what we're going to be. I think understanding the individual's journey, understanding the story that's brought them to where they are in their life, where they are in their career, what's brought them to your organization or your country or your city, why they are there. If we can understand the why behind it and probably help those individuals dig into the why and, and why they're doing what they're doing. If we can get that individual and understanding for that individual sense of purpose and the values that come with that sense of purpose of what makes that person that person, then we can start to relate that to the overall vision and the collective vision of whatever team we want to be or whatever company we want to be. Because they might not even consciously know themselves, right? So it's, it's helping them to bring that to the surface. Very much so. Very much so. And I, I think there are some people who just never thought about it, which is absolutely fine because a lot of people don't. There's not the occasion to do it. And there's some people who have actually just never been asked and they've never been invited to share why they're in this business or why they're in this sport or why they're prepared to move their family across the world for this opportunity. And it can be incredibly powerful when you start to tap into that. And often you'll find that that will tell you what the collective vision is because there will be trends. When you speak to 45, 60 people, there'll be themes and trends that come out of that. And very quickly, you can start to piece together what you want to represent as a group. And uh, look, for me, if we can understand why we're doing things and where we're going as a collective and, and the individual stories that feed into that, well, you become pretty powerful and pretty exciting, whether that's as a, as a sports team or, or as a group of people trying to achieve anything in, in business or otherwise. I love that. I mean, I actually just got chills. It's the power of the collective starting on the individual, bringing it all together. And that's where I always say the magic happens. When mm. the collective really feels they're heard and they have the purpose and they're part of something, that's when the magic begins. Pete, listen, this has been a fantastic discussion. I want to extend major thanks to you for generously offering your time, expert knowledge, and experience to discuss the power of positivity and high-performance teams. And I want to thank our listeners. We hope you gained some valuable insights from this conversation. And if you enjoyed the show, please like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. I'm Thomas Merchant, Director of International Brand Management at GP, and I look forward to catching up with you in our next episode. Thank you, everyone. 